And I guess other officially starts tomorrow night, but Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh is already tonight. Okay, so let's let's enter into the avoda of other, and lechavad uh, the fathers who are joining us this morning. Right, we'll we'll try to to talk about first of all. Thank you for being with us, and uh, and we're impressed by your commitment to Torah. So let's talk about the month of Adar and what it what it teaches us in terms of our relationship with Torah. Okay, we'll begin in the first source, Megillah Esther. B'chodesh Harishon u'chodesh Nisan, b'shnashtim esrei lemelech hachashverosh hipil poor hu agorel lefnei Haman. So we know that Haman cast lots. Now, we forget sometimes when he cast these lots. It was Bechodesh HaRishon HuChodesh Nisan. And the Medrash describes a whole process by which Haman was trying to figure out the day and the day of the week and the month and the, the date of the month. And he cast lots, as the Pasuk says, Miyom liyom, Miyom liyom, from day to day, from month to month. Shneim Asar Hu Chodesh Adar. Until he finally settled on the month of Adar, and he liked the month of Adar. Which is very funny, meaning if he just liked the month of Adar, he could have picked the month of Adar. But he was like manipulating the lots, he would, he would cast the lots, and it landed in a month, and he said, you know what, this, mm, that doesn't work for me, so let me try another one. Essentially, he kept rolling the dice until he got what he wanted. And Haman was very excited when it finally landed in the month of Adar. What did Haman like about the month of Adar? Why was he, why was he so excited? What did he think was so auspicious about the month of Adar? So, Chavra, we know that every month has a mazel. It has an astrological sign that's associated with it. Okay, if you ever forget what the horoscope, the mazel for a particular month is, where can you look? Which chart? Oh, so we had that chart, that's true. It's not on that chart. It's in the entrance to the building. On the floor. On the floor. On the floor. Sometimes it's covered. Is it covered by a rug currently? Sometimes they cover it, sometimes they uncover it. I don't know why they decided to put that there. Yeah, this is... Matthew, you should go, you should go check it out. A little investigative journalism over there. <laughs> They have this very mystical chart at the entrance to the, uh, to the building, on the floor, sometimes buried beneath the rug, you know? You have to, you have to dig it up. Okay, but each month has a, has a sign, each month has a, has a mazel. Now, even though we believe, as Jews, the Gemara says, Ein mazal Yisrael, the Jewish people don't really, we're not really bound by mazel, but the calendar, the month, the year is bound by mazel. Thank you, Tadarabah. I'll take my uh, other thing also. Okay, so why was Haman excited about Adar? Well, what, what is the mazel for the month of Adar? So we find a remarkable idea on the Medrash. The Medrash says in source number two, Bolo mazel dogin. Finally, we arrived, Haman arrived on the mazel of fish. Pisces, fish. Shuhu mishamesh b'chodesh Adar. Okay, that's what we, that's, that's Kabbalistically. Again, we believe that, Sefer Yitzira says that the mazel one of the earliest, most important works of Kabbalah teaches us that the, the mazel for the month of Adar is dagim. Interesting that it's plural, dagim, not dag. Something to think about there also. Velo nimtza lo zuchus. So when Haman looks at the month of Adar, he says, well, Adar doesn't have anything special to it. So when the lottery landed on Nisan, he's like, oh, no, no, Nisan, I'm not going to start up with Nisan. That was a very good month for the Jewish people. And he goes through each month and he finds some merit that the Jewish people have. Until finally it comes to Adar, and it's like, Adar, that's not, there's nothing in Adar. Until Purim was created. Vissamach. Right, he was very happy. Vissamach miyad. Va'amar, Adar ain't lo zchus. Adar has no merit. Umazlo ain't lo zchus. And 
the mazal of other has no merit. Velo od elisha other mace Moshe Rabban. And not only that, other was the month that the great Jewish leader, the one who took them out of its tribe, the one who helped us to receive the Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu died. So presumably it's a very sad month. Yeah. It's just like all common knowledge. How is he so holy in Jewish history? How, how is Haman so... Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. Sometimes the nature of anti-Semites is to... You know, they, they study our history to find ways to undermine the greatness of the Jewish people. But it's an interesting question. You know, did Haman actually have all of these calculations? Right? Is the Medrash speaking, you know, poetically? I don't know. Was Haman, was Haman a, a great scholar? Could be. Yes? So that's the irony. That's that. That's the that's the vinahafachu of Haman himself. The man who wants to believe in chance is also the one who feels that he needs to control everything. That's one of the biggest. That's one of the biggest ironies of Haman, right? That he claims to, that the world has no you know no guiding force. He claims to surrender to the world of chance, and yet he's totally in control. And Hashem says, "You're getting closer. Someone's totally in control, but it's not you." Right? That's the punchline. Only when you say it has your tails and it's the wrong one, you come right. on to the So that's exactly what he's doing here. That's what the Medrash describes. Again, it's a long Medrash. I, I just give you a couple lines here. But the Medrash says every, every time he cast his lots, he, was, he wasn't happy with the results, so he tried again. He spun again. But what Haman didn't realize, the end of the second line, He didn't realize that the same day that Moshe left the world was the day that Moshe came to the world. And furthermore, Haman says to himself, just like fish are swallowed up, so too, Haman says, I'm going to swallow up the Jewish people. Okay? responds to Haman, Russia, you fool, you wicked person. Fish are sometimes swallowed, and sometimes they swallow. So Haman, you think that other is a sign that you're going to swallow up the Jewish people once and for all, but maybe you're the one who's going to be swallowed by them. Okay, so this was the foolishness of Haman. But friends, I want to I want to try to understand. And by the way, that's exactly what happened, right? Meaning The nature of a fish is that sometimes the fish is on the hunt, right, trying to chase after another fish, a smaller fish, and then it gets swallowed by a bigger fish. So in the eyes of Haman, the Jewish people were a small little fish, easy to be uh, swallowed, taken advantage of. And in the end, the whole thing was flipped. The script was, was flipped to such a degree that Dafka, in the month of Adar, the month that he thought the Jewish people had no merit, would be the time that he met his downfall. In other words, Hashem could have orchestrated it, that something happened to Haman in Shvat or in Teves. Hashem said, no, no, specifically the area in which you think the Jews are going to be manipulated, taken advantage of, Specifically, there is going to be your downfall, and that's exactly what happens in source number three. On the thirteenth of the month, the day that the Jewish people were supposed to be destroyed. Right? Second line: The day that the enemies of the Jewish people intended to to dominate us. The script was flipped. That the Jews were the ones who did the swallowing instead of being the ones who were swallowed. Okay, so since you asked for a gematria, no, I'll give you a gematria. Okay, it's for my father. My father has... So we mentioned, we mentioned the other day that how many psukim are there in Megillah Esther? 167. Very good. 167. Okay? So my father likes to point out 
that the gematria of the word v'nahafoch, which becomes one of the main words of Purim, right? V'nahafoch, v'nahafoch. We say the word over and over again in the songs of Purim. The gematria of the word v'nahafoch is 167. Because the whole Megillah is one big v'nahafoch. Everything that Haman is trying to steer in a certain direction, everything gets overturned. Everything gets flipped backwards. Again, we have to think about that, in a, not for now, but think about the, the fact that the halacha insists that we read the Megillah from beginning to end. Just so you know, halacha lamaisa. You wake up a little late per morning. God forbid. Because right? you're going to get up early, you go to the mikvah, daven basikin, right? Ariel Avram says, of course. Okay? But in case you overslept a little bit, and you catch, right? So you, you, come to, you come to a minion, and they're in the middle of the Megillah. They're halfway through the Megillah. Now you know there's, it's not the latest minion, there's another minion after. So you figure, you know what I'll do? To save a little time, what, what's, what's, what am I going to do? I'll listen to the second half of the Megillah. Right? And then I'll go back and I'll hear the first half of the Megillah at the next reading. Trevor, does, does a person fulfill their obligation like that? No. No. You can't do that. If you read the Megillah backwards, it doesn't work. The irony is the whole story only you know, unfolds kind of in retrospect. Right? So that's one of the ironies of the Megillah. But again, you see how Haman wants to control the lots. He wants to steer it in a certain direction. And vina hafochu. And that's why we sing the song that we sing after reading the Megillah in source number four, the Asher Haini, which describes the evil plots of our enemies. Asher Haini atzas goyim. How Hashem overturns the, the, the uh, intentions and the plans of the goyim. Right, of our enemies. The ones who act with deception. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, again, undoes their their plots and their plans. It's a beautiful tefillah. It's written alphabetically. So if you go to the third line in source number four, letter pay. Pihem pasku kol yoshvei sevel, ki por haman nehepach lepureinu. Por haman, the lot of haman, nehepach, was transformed into pureinu, into our, into our poor. It was our victory. His lottery became our source of, of strength. But however, what we need to understand is, so, okay, so what is the positive message of the fish? Again, Haman thought, well, I'm the big fish and Klal Yisrael is the little fish, so I'm going to swallow them up. But there's something more. If we think about the Jewish people and our comparison to the fish, we actually learn something much more <coughs> fundamental about ourselves and about the month of other. Okay, where are we compared to fish? No? Um, I don't remember the Gemara, So you, okay, so you have the you have the Ein Mayim El situation, right? There is a Gemara that says Ein Mayim El You're probably thinking of the Gemara in source number ten. Look at source number ten for a second. The Gemara in Brachos. Yeah. Right. say it in one line. You have another one, yeah. Okay, we'll get to Vid Gulerov in a second. Let's talk about the one that David just suggested. Right. What's the, say say the famous Gemara in Brachos in one line. A Jew without. Torah is like a fish out of water, right? A Jew without Torah is like, in other words, if David is correct, and he is correct, it's not on the page in front of us. If it's true that in other words, the same way that water is so essential for existence, so too Torah is essential for the existence of a Jew. Right? So the Gemara tells a very powerful and somewhat tragic story by Rabbi Akiva. The Gemara says, The enemies of the Jewish people made a decree, in source number 10, that the Jews should not be allowed to study Torah. 
Vopapus ben Yehuda umatzol or biakiva shayamakil kihilos berabim vaosik b'torah. And Papas ben Yehuda found that Rabbi Akiva would gather together great groups of scholars to learn Torah. Amrlo Akiva, what are you doing? Aren't you afraid of the Roman government? That's who the Malchus was in the times of Rabbi Akiva. Amrlo Emshel l'chal mashal. So Rabbi Akiva says, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a mashal. Lama davar domer. What can this be compared to? L'shuol shayu mahalich al gav hanar. Imagine a fox, a sly fox, walking on the riverbanks. And he sees the fish gathering, a school of fish. What are you running about? He sees the fish look a little anxious. We're nervous of the nets that people are trying to use to trap us. Right? A reshet is a net. So the, so the fox, the clever fox, says, I have a good advice for you. Why don't you come onto dry land? We'll live, you know. I'm looking for a roommate. Yeah, got an extra spot in my apartment. Says the fox, why don't you come live with me? Right? Just like our ancestors lived together, whatever that means. Said the fish say, Mr. Fox, they say you're the wisest, you're the most clever, the smartest of the animals. Right? You're a fool. Or maybe, tipeshata means, we know that you're trying to fool us. If in the place where we're most at home, we're afraid, on dry land, where it's a death sentence for us, so says Rabbi Akiva, what a beautiful line. So if we're sitting and studying the Torah, about which it says, Torah is the life of a Jew. Rabbi Akiva says, if there's threats against us, even while we're learning Torah, so if we abandon our source of life, if we abandon the Torah, all the more so. So you see that the, 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 the muscle of the fish was used by Rabbi Akiva to convey what? The centrality of Torah in the life of a Jew. Okay, so Mendy has another part. Mendy says, hold on, I have a Pasuk in Chumash. So let's turn back to source number five. This is Yaakov Avinu bestowing bracha. Yaakov Avinu, who's defined as what? As the personality of Torah. Yaakov Ishtam Yoshev Aladim, the one who sat and learned Torah. Yaakov says, HaMalach HaGolo Simi Kolera Yivarich HaSan HaArim V'yikarei V'hem Shemi V'shem HaVosei Aram V'yitzlak V'yidgu L'rov B'kerev Haaretz the bracha of Yaakov that we should what? V'yidgu larov b'kerev haaretz. That we should be like Dagim. V'yidgu larov. We should be, we should multiply like the fish. B'kerev haaretz is interesting, based on the Gemara that we just learned, no? We should be like a fish, b'kerev haaretz, and we should be like fish in the water, no? We should be like fish in the world. Maybe, I don't know, a little Y.U. plug today, maybe that's Toramada. No, we should be able to take our Torah wherever we go in the world. We should mean we should still be in the water, but we should still be able to engage the world. So, could be. Could be. That's a nice message to take from this phrase. Rashi says, "Kidogim halalu shaparim veravim ve'ein ayin There's a notion that the Gemara has in several places. Rashi is alluding to it here. That what's the bracha that you should be like a fish? The fish are able to have 
you know, many offspring. The fish multiply at a great rate. Like the fish that multiply so greatly. And yet, because the fish live below the surface, so the fish are able to what? To not draw attention to themselves. That's a very important idea. How can a Jew be prominent in the world? How can I be prominent in the world and at the same time remain a certain, with a certain humility and a certain tznius that I don't bring the world to be jealous? We have to be careful about that. We have to be very, very careful about that. Not to draw attention to ourselves. At the same time, we have to recognize, okay, the Jewish people have, have done so much for humanity. Right? And, and we, are, we are big. Right? Big in terms of our prominence. And at the same time, we have to avoid ayin hara. We don't want to, to draw negative attention to ourselves. That's what Rashi says. It's a nice shot. But friends, I want to tell you one of my favorite midrash. This is such a beautiful medrash. And we'll connect it to something in Masechah's Gitin that we're learning this year. This is such a nice medrash. You ever see, on a rainy day, that fish come up to the surface of the water? So let's ask a kasha on the fish. You live in water. All of a sudden it starts to rain, the fish come up and they're like jumping for raindrops. Strange, no? That's a strange thing. The measure says in source number seven, Ma dogim halalu, a different shot in Vyidgularov Bakaravaretz. And again, this will give us an appreciation for perhaps what the whole the whole celebration, the simcha of the month of Adar is really about. Ma dogim halalu gidelin bamayim, even though fish live in water, cave in shiorredes tipa achas milamala. When a single drop comes down from above, they drink it up with great thirst. Like someone who never tasted water before. It's a strange thing. The fish get so excited about a drop of water. Now you could say, well, the fish live in salt water and this is fresh water. We understand the pshat. We understand perhaps a simple scientific truth of what's happening there. But it is a funny image that the fish are so excited about a drop of water. You live in the water. So to a Jew, whose whole life, his whole existence is informed by Torah. But when I hear a new Torah insight, I was standing at a wedding yesterday, <clears throat> one of the people who's responsible for the wedding hall and works with the caterer, kind of runs the wedding. He came over to, I was standing with myself, Rabbi Neuberger and Rebetzin Neuberger, and he said, oh, I want to tell you a vart. He said, I just understood something new about the moment the Jews received the Torah at Har Sinai that I never understood before. And the man said, he said, I'm 66 years old. And he said, I never knew this. And you should have seen the childish excitement that he had for a new Torah insight. That's what it's supposed to be. That every time you get a new idea in Torah, it's, it's so exciting. Like a, like a child who's you know, experiencing Torah for the first time, getting, you know, getting his chumash in first grade or something like that. So the fish are jumping for water like, like someone who's never tasted it before. So too, even though a Jew, hopefully his whole life is informed by Torah, but when he hears a new Torah insight, he's makabalit b'tzimaon with a great thirst, kemishalo shamu dvar Torah mimehon. Like a person who's never, like a person who's never tasted the water of Torah in his life. Such a beautiful image of the thirst that a person's supposed to have for Torah. So I'll tell you something funny that happened. There was a fellow who decided to, to test out this Maimur Chazal on his fish tank. The fellow had a nice fish tank, sizable fish tank, and he decided, he said, I'm going to put drops of water in, I'm going to drop water, I'm going to see if the fish come jumping. And they didn't. 
He said, when I put food in the top of the fish tank, all the fish come up to the surface. But he stood there, he was dropping water, and so he thought, okay, maybe again, it's fresh water, it's a freshwater fish versus, you know, fish in the ocean rise up for fresh drops of water. Anyways, he went to ask Rav Chaim Kanievsky Zatzal, one of the great Gedole Hador, why are the fish in his little aquarium not excited about drops of water? How does it, how does it fit with the medjish? Rav Chaim said, I'll explain it to you, it makes a lot of sense. He says, a fish that lives in a fish tank right, has a very limited experience with water. Its whole existence is water, that's true. Right? But it's not swimming, in the, it's not, it doesn't have the ability to swim freely in the entirety of the ocean. A fish in the ocean right, sees the expansiveness of the, of the ocean of Torah. So he says, in an in a almost ironic way, the same thing is true when it comes to the excitement for Torah. A person who has sort of a limited view of Torah <clears throat> is going to probably be the type of person who's maybe even less excited about a new, a new Torah insight. Because he sees Torah as a small part of his life. It may be a very important part of his life, the same way the fish in the fish tank need that order to, to survive. But it doesn't, it doesn't have the expansiveness. It doesn't have the fullness of the ocean. He says, well, Chazal is describing the Talmud Chacham, so to speak, who swims in the ocean of Torah, a person who appreciates just how big Torah is, a person who understands the, the, the limitless you know, nature of Torah, a person who doesn't say the Torah is a finite text that sits on my shelf, but the Torah is this endless world to explore, such a person is the same type of person who probably gets excited about every little drop of Torah. So Chaim Kanievsky said, I think it's a very true insight. The more a person appreciates Torah, the more thirsty they become for Torah. The more a person uh, lives in it and swims in the expansiveness of it, the more you come to, to appreciate Torah. Now, Chavar, I want to tell you that there was a great tzaddik. His name was Pinchas Hirschsprung. You don't ever hear of Rav Hirschsprung. Rav Hirschsprung was, uh, was a great gadol in Montreal. You've heard of Rav Hirschsprung? If you look actually in Rav Shechter, <coughs> if you look in our, uh, our own <coughs> Rav Shechter Shlita's Svarim, so his Haskamas, his letters of recommendation in his Svarim are from Rav Pinchas Hirschsprung. Rav Hirschsprung had learned in Yeshiva's Tachme Lublin. Rav Hirschsprung was the type of person who could literally take a pin test. You know what the pin test is? literally put a pin through a Gemara and he could tell you every word that it goes. I once met someone, a rabbi in Philadelphia, whose father was a Rav, who had a connection to Rav Hirschsprung, and this Rav, when he was a young man, was Zohar to spend a lot of time with Rav Hirschsprung. He told me the craziest stories about Rav Hirschsprung. Just the incredible genius and the tzidkos of Rav Hirschsprung. We're talking about a, a tzaddik who, who was like beyond this world. I once read a story that when his children went off to yeshiva and they came back from yeshiva, and he said, oh, how's it going in yeshiva? They said, wonderful, you know, the learning's great. He said, how's it going, how's it going socially? They said, great, we've made, we've made a lot of uh, new friends. So he said to, he said to his son, who are, tell me, who are, who are your friends? So he says, I don't know, I met this kid, I don't know, Yosef Friedman and Yankel, whatever, Horowitz. So Hirsch was like, oh, that's very nice. And he, he, the, the son saw, like, he looked a little like, so he said, Dad, what's, you know, what's, what's wrong? He's like, I was hoping you were going to say my new friends are Abaya and Rava, you know? Like, that was, those were his friends, you know? I hope the Rambam and the Rashba would be your new friends in Yeshiva. Okay, we're talking about a very, a very unique and very special person. So when he passed away, <clears throat> there was a, a Torah journal that came out. Uh, it comes out regularly called Yeshurin, in source number eight. And there's a whole section dedicated to, to recollections about Rav Hirschfeld. So in this essay that was written to try to describe the greatness of Rav Hirschfeld, there's a beautiful, a beautiful explanation of a Gemara that appears in Mesech Gita. We didn't get to this Gemara, we didn't see this Gemara together yet. 
But the Gemara says, although maybe we did look at it once, actually. It could be we did look at this Gemara once. It's a Gemara in Gitam Daf Pei Zayin Amud Okay, take a look in source number 8. The Gemara says that different Tanayim and Amorayim, when they, would, when they would sign their name, they would sometimes sign with a signature. Uh, with a, with a, I'm sorry, with a symbol. Their signature became a symbol. So one of the Amorayim would sign as a palm tree, and one of them would draw, I don't know, a circle with a line through it. Right? Different signatures. The Gemara says that Rav, like Rav and Shmuel, Rav was Tsayer Kavra, or Kvara. Rav would sign a picture of a fish. So if you got, you know, Torah correspondence in the mail, and it was signed, you know, sincerely with a little picture of a fish on the bottom, you knew you got mail from Rav. Okay? He would draw a fish. And everyone's trying to figure out why was Rav's symbol the fish? Now, to appreciate this, we have to understand who Rav was in his time. So he writes here in the second line where it's bolted. Yadua Sharav Hayagadal Hador. Rav was the greatest of his time, the greatest of his generation. He was the one who transformed Bavel into what? Into the Torah community that it became. When Rav came to Bavel, you know what that means. Right? The very first mission in Gittin teaches us that what? That the people outside of Israel were not as knowledgeable in Torah. When Rav came to Bavel, he transformed the entire the entire Bavel into, into Eretz Yisrael. In other words, he made it a place of learning, like the scholarship of Eretz Yisrael. Furthermore, the Rambam writes in Hilchos Tefillin, Omru alav al Rav, shokol yamav lo halach dalit amos b'li Torah v'li tzitzis v'li tefillin. Rav wouldn't walk for Amos. He wouldn't take a step without Torah, without tzitzis. He wore tefillin all day. Okay? He wore talis all day. You can imagine what it must have been like to just uh, to sit in this presence. And yet, despite being someone who was so accomplished, he writes here where it's bolded, Va'af al gadol kol kach. Despite being such a great tzaddik and a great Tamil chacham, the Gemara tells us in Sanhedrin Davhei, Amar Rav. Rav said about himself. Listen to this: Shmona asrei chadashim gidalti etzel roi behema. I spent eighteen months living where? On a farm. On a farm. I put on my overalls and I put on my boots and I lived on a farm. Amongst the Roy Behema, amongst those who raise animals. Why? Isn't that beneath your dignity? You lived on a farm? And that means he lived, he lived the kibbutz life, you know, he, he embraced it. Right? Why? Because Rav wanted to study what's the difference between the type of blemish in an animal that's temporary and the type of blemish. That makes the animal a trefa. What type of illness causes an animal to die that even if you were to shecht it, it would still not be kosher? Rav said, I'm gonna live, I'm gonna live on the farm to study that up close. Right? So perhaps the author of this, this essay, Rav Moshe Yaakov Kanner, who wrote this essay in the Ashurin Journal, he says maybe that's the secret of Rav's signature. Right? Look how Rav was so thirsty to understand another, another bit. To the point that he says, you know what, if it means living on a farm to be able to better understand 
the biological realities of animals to understand how that plays itself out in halacha. If it means sleeping in the barn, I'll do it. That's how thirsty he was for Torah. And therefore, now we understand Rav's signature. Right? We understand that Rav would sign his signature like a fish, as if to say, this medrash that we just learned. That despite being such a great person who lived in the waters of Torah, he was always thirsty for another drop of understanding. And even if it meant, you know, somewhat uh, personal disgrace in order to, to immerse himself in it, he was thirsty for another drop. Yes, Mark, you wanted to say something? Yeah? It's like a silly question. Like, like, what are like, 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 he needed 18 months, yeah. Because there's many different, the Gemara describes many different women. He needed to, st- yeah, he had to, he had to, you know, like great rabbis who put in the time to understand, you know, new medical developments or to understand how electricity works and how it impacts Shabbos. Right? I mean, it's amazing to see, to see, you know, the sensitivity to understand the process. Right? To not just understand it from the Gemara, but to, to go to the science lab and to understand how, how does this work. And not to rely on anyone else's testimony. I want to see it up close with the excitement. Yeah. You have to immerse yourself in it. That's right. That's right. That's right. And by the way, this explains a very interesting Minog Yisrael. Then we'll get back to other and start wrapping up. Right, but this explains a very interesting Minog Yisrael. There's a minog by the Jewish people, a very important minog, to what? To eat fish on Shabbos. How did you figure that out? To eat fish on Shabbos. It's a big Indian to eat fish on Shabbos. Right? It's a big thing to eat fish on Shabbos by all of the meals. Okay, some people like it more, some people like it less. Okay. It's part of, uh, it's part of, it's part of our Judaism, to eat a little herring on Shabbos. You know? It's, part of, it's one, of the, one of the fundamentals of the Jewish faith, to eat a little fish on Shabbos. Why? Why is fish connected to Shabbos? So, however, the answer is the following. When the Torah was given, the Medrash tells us, and the Torah records it in his writings in Allah in Source 11. The Torah says, you know, the Medrash records that the Torah was a little bit anxious. The Torah said, I-, I know that I'm great, I have a lot of wisdom to offer, but, you know, there's also a lot of other attractions in the world. And people are going to be busy. And I guess the Torah, I don't know, didn't know that there was going to be a day off for people who work in the month of February. Uh, come to yeshiva, right? So the Torah was nervous. People are going to be busy. People are going to be accountants and lawyers and doctors and garbage men and all sorts of whatever people do to make a living. And I'm going to be forgotten. Omra Torah lefnei HaKadosh Baruch the Torah, as it were, spoke to Hashem, Ribono Sha'olam, kishiyichnesu Yisrael la'aretz. As soon as the Jews arrive, so now in the Midbar, you know, we're living in the Ananiya Kavod, we're eating the man, we have nowhere to be, nothing to do, so we read the Torah. But when we get to the land of Israel, and we're draining malaria-infested swamps, and everyone's running, each person is rots Karmo, everyone's running to his vineyard, vizer rots l'sadeyu, and this one's plowing his field, the Torah said, what's going to be with me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gather dust on a shelf. Hashem says back to the Torah, don't be nervous. Says the Medrash, quoted here by the Torah, where it's bolded, Yesh li zug shani mezavig lecha v'shabes shemo. I have a shidduch for you. Who's the shidduch? Who's the partner of uh, Torah? Shabbos. At least one day a week, they'll spend a lot of time with you. Right? So Shabbos is a day, what? Is a day of Torah. Shabbos is, in the words of 
the Zohar, Yoma Dinishmasa, the day where we nurture our soul. It's the most soulful day. The Gemara says, the Talmud Yerushalmi says, Shabbos was given to us simply to what? To learn Torah. It's a day where we're supposed to immerse ourselves in Torah. And therefore what? No? So the delicacy of Shabbos is fish. Why? Because if I really understand what the fish is about, what does it mean to be like a fish? It means to think about Rabbi Akiva's mashal, like a fish without, right? So maybe all week I was busy. I was busy at my office. You know, it was busy season. And I was busy trying to, to make a living. And that's certainly justifiable, understandable. But on Shabbos, I have to turn back into a fish. I have to reacquire that thirst for Torah. I have to be like Rabbi Akiva who says, you know what? If I haven't had a chance to learn much during the week, so I gotta at least, I have to at least soak up the, uh, soak up the, the, the water of Torah on Shabbos. Right? Because I don't want to be like a fish out of water. I don't want to be like a fish out of water. The Navi Chabakuk, just going back for two seconds to source number nine, the Gemara Navodah Zara, just one more Gemara about this concept. Right? The Navi Chabakuk says, That people are equated with the fish of the sea. So the Gemara says in Avodah Zara, in source number nine, in the second line, In what way are people like the fish of the sea? Lomar Lecha. Again, you may not literally die if you stop learning Torah and doing mitzvahs, but your life will become lifeless, spiritually lifeless. Okay, and therefore on Shabbos Kodesh we, we what? We, we enter back into the, the world of the fish. By the way, when was the Torah given? On Shabbos. Mara right? says in source number 11, it's a machlok as what day of the month it was, but everyone agrees, Kuli Alma Bishabbos Nitna Torah Yisrael. Okay, so on Shabbos we eat fish as a, as a means of reminding ourselves that this is the day that we have to, again, immerse ourselves deeply in Torah. Okay, so now let's come back to other. So Haman's busy with his lotteries, Haman's casting lots, and Haman's all excited. It lands on the month of Adar, and Haman says, oh, this is a good sign. This is the month that Moshe, the teacher of Torah, died. This is a month that doesn't seem to have any holidays, any merit. Right? What Haman didn't understand was that what? That the month of Adar, Moshe is also born. He didn't understand what the celebration of Adar is. However, what was the original acceptance of the Torah? The original acceptance of the Torah was with a little bit of coercion, no? The Jewish people were forced into it. The Gemara says Hashem suspended a mountain over our head. Kodesh Baruch Hu put a little pressure on us to accept the Torah. When did all of that change? When did we become thirsty like a fish? On Purim. Right? After the salvation of Purim, the Gemara says the Jewish people re-accepted the Torah. Where do you see that hinted to in the Megillah itself? Kimu v'kiblu. Right? It says Kimu v'kiblu in the Megillah. Says the Gemara in Shabbos in source number 12, originally Hashem suspended a mountain over our head and forced us to accept the Torah. But Amar Rava, where it's bolded, But when the miracle of Purim took place, the Jewish people said, we no longer want to be people who do the Torah by force. We want to be people who experience the Torah by choice. And the Gemara learns it to mean, right? They reestablished that which, that which they had previously accepted. In other words, they decided, you know what? Torah is not going to be something that I'm casual about. Torah is not going to be something that I, that I do a little bit. But Torah is going to be something that I'm excited about. 
And that's what Chazal understood, and that's really what Klal Yisrael understood. Right? The Jewish people also had to ask themselves the question, why was it that Haman settled on the month of Adar? If we really believe that it was part of Hashem's master plan, not Haman's master plan, so we have to ask ourselves, what message is Hashem sending us? How does Hashem want us to respond to the salvation of Purim? And the answer is to respond with an incredible sense of what? Of love for Hashem, and by extension, love for Hashem's Torah. That's what Rashi says. Rashi says, in this time period of Ahasuerus, when they experienced that salvation, Rashi writes in source 13, There was an ahava, there was a good feeling that the Jewish people had. They sensed that Hashem went above and beyond for them, and they said, you know what, why are we doing the bare minimum in our relationship with Hashem? Why are we being coerced into Torah? Why are we not celebrating Torah? And that's why, by the way, again, a very fundamental question. Why do we call the Yom Tov Purim? You ever think about that question? The poor itself, in the story, was the death threat. That's very strange. It's very strange to name the Yom Tov after the, the, the intention of the enemy. Like, what would we call, I don't know, what would we call Pesach if we named it after what our enemies did to us? Slavery. Uh, slavery, Avdas, we call it, I don't know, whips. What would we call it? Pyramids? What would we call it? You know, bricks and mortar? It's a strange, it's a strange way to, to define the Yom Tov, to define it by, by, by the intention of the enemy to destroy us. B'nai Yisachar asked this question. B'nai Yisachar in Source 14 says, Why is it called Purim? In fact, it says so explicitly in the Megillah. This Yom Tov is called Purim because of the lotteries. Because of the lotteries. Let's take it to heart, says the B'nai Yisachar. What a strange name for a Yom Tov. Different than all of our other holidays. The Yom Tov is usually called based on the miracle that occurred. Hainu, Chaga Pesach, because Hashem was Pesach. Hashem passed over our homes, providing protection. Right? In the Torah, we call it the holiday of Matzah. Referring to what? Right? That they left Mitzrayim in a hurry. Hashem was quick to take us out. They didn't have time for the bread to rise. Or Chag HaSukos. Why? Kiba Sukos HaShavti Espenei Yisrael. Because Hashem provided divine protection for the Jewish people by covering us with what? With a sukkah. Whether it was a literal sukkah, whether it was clouds of glory, whatever it was. So why exactly is this holiday named for what the enemy tried to do to us? Very strange. It doesn't make any sense. That it's called for the for the for the suffering, the chain who may haroi, she ha moed ha nikral shem ha yeshua vahanes lo al shem ha shibud vahisurin vahtsaros lasoni yisrael, and over here v'nahafachu. All of a sudden, Purim is the opposite. We call it poor Asher Hipil Haman poor a goral to try to destroy the Jewish people. That's very strange. But friends, what's the answer? The answer going back to the tefillah that we're going to sing after we read the Megillah. Poor Haman Haman thought the fish was a sign of weakness. But in truth, the fish right, is part of the secret of the Jewish people. The fish represents, again, all these messages of what? Of like the fish in the water. 
It's the Jewish people realizing that, you know what? Torah is not something that I do on the side. Torah is my life. And therefore the Gemara says, when they felt that love, they said, you know what? We want to rededicate ourselves to Torah. We want to fall in love with Torah in a deep way. And it makes perfect sense because what is the opposite of Adar? What month do we view on the other end of the spectrum? Av, right? The Gemara tells us in source 15, But how does the Gemara define it? The Gemara puts it in very specific terms. The Gemara says, Kishem, and by the way, who's the author of the statement? Amr of Yehuda, Bereder, Shmuel, Barshilas, Mishmei, the Rav, right? The Rav who used to draw a symbol as a fish. Rav is the one who taught us. Kishem, just as. Nishenichnas Av, Mematin, Besimcha. Just like the month of Av is a time of what? Of Miot, Simcha. Kach, Mishenichnas, Adar, Marvin, Besimcha. What is the moment of Av that the pain is greatest? Tishabav. What is one of the halachas of Tishabav? You're not allowed to learn Torah on Tishabav. Why can't you learn Torah on Tishabav? So when you're, you know, before you're inspired, when you're just like, uh, I don't know, an uninspired Jew who doesn't really like learning Torah anyway, so, okay, you know, no big deal, you can't learn Torah on Tishabav. But it, it reveals a very important truth about what our relationship with Torah is supposed to be. You can't learn Torah on Tishabav because it's a sad day. Apparently, what... Torah is supposed to be something that brings a person great joy, right? That's what the Gemara says in Source 16. The Gemara over there, and Tana says, on Tishavav, you're not allowed to learn the regular parts of Torah. The only part of Torah you're allowed to learn on Tishavav is sad Torah. Or deeply philosophical Torah, like say for Eov. Or you can learn the laws of mourning. You can learn depressing types of Torah, but you can't learn the regular type of Torah. You know Why? It quotes the Pasuk because Pikude Hashem Yesharim Misamche Lev. Because a Jew who learns Torah is supposed to be overjoyed by that experience. Torah is supposed to fill us with a feeling of joy. So if the if the sadness of Av is a diminishing of Torah, so so what's the simcha of other? The simcha of other is supposed to be what? Increasing our love and our joy for Torah. That's exactly what happened on Purim. Kimu Hayudim. The Jews reaccepted the Torah out of love that we shouldn't feel coerced into it, we shouldn't feel forced into it. Right? But we should be excited to learn Torah. We should want to celebrate Torah. That's what Haman didn't understand. Haman saw the month of Adar as Moshe's death. They didn't realize that Moshe was also born in Adar. Who's Moshe? Moshe is the one who taught us the beauty of Torah. Who taught us that life is, life is meaningful when you have Torah. When did the Purim story take place? Where is it in history? Where is it? No, no, I'm not talking where in terms of geographical location. I'm talking about in the timeline of Jewish history. Okay, give give me another way of defining it. We were okay. We were in exile, right, in between Bayis Rishon and Bayis after the destruction of the first base of Mikdash. Why was the first base of Mikdash destroyed? So there's different traditions. You look, the Gemara points like this, points like that, but there's a very mysterious Gemara about why we lost Eretz Yisrael and why we lost the first base of Mikdash. The Gemara in the Dharam, Daf Pe Aleph, also, Amar of Yehuda, Amar, Rav, interesting. Rav keeps coming up. Right? Rav, the great lover of Torah. Rav, who was willing to live on a farm just to understand something new in Torah. Right? Rav, who never, never, stopped, never stopped growing, never stopped striving for something, something uh, deeper. Rav asks, Mai dechsev mi ha'ish ha'chachem v'yavein azos? 
The Navi wants to understand. Everyone was asking, why is, why is Chorban happening? Why is destruction happening to the Jewish people? Why are we being exiled from our land? No one can seem to figure it out. Until Hashem Himself came along. Hashem says, I'll tell you why. You know why I had to throw you out of the land? Hashem says, because you've abandoned my Torah. The Gemara says, The Pasuk uses many phrases. You didn't listen to my voice. You didn't walk in my ways. What are each of these phrases teaching? Amar of Yehuda, Amar Rav, She'ein mevarchin b'Torah t'chila. What did they do wrong? It's not that they weren't learning Torah, but what? They weren't reciting birchas Torah. What does that mean? She'ein mevarchin b'Torah t'chila. They didn't say birchas Torah. Okay, take pictures. We're learning, we really are. <laughs> Action shots. What does that mean they didn't learn Torah? Uh, they didn't make birchas Torah. Lo birchu b'Torah t'chila? No? David Tzvi, what? When you make a bracha, that means you love it? What do we say in birchas Torah? Vaharevna. What do we ask Hashem? Part and parcel of birchas Torah is vaharevna. Hashem, please make it sweet. I want to be like a fish who lives in salt water, but I'm jumping for a, a sweet drop of a sweet drop of fresh fresh rainwater. Right? They didn't appreciate the sweetness of Torah. It doesn't say that they didn't learn Torah at all. But Torah They stopped reciting Birchas Torah. They had lost their enthusiasm for Torah. There wasn't an excitement for Torah. And when you don't have an excitement for Torah, Hashem says, I'm going to take away Torah from you. And that's exactly what Hashem did. He took us out of the land. Purim, we got the message. Haman, in fact, led us to the message. Haman, who cast his lots in the month of Adar, Mazel Dagim, Haman hinted to us, Jewish people, the, 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 the secret is to become like a fish again. And by the way, La Yehudim Haisa Ora, what does the Gemara say? Ora Zu, Torah. Right? So I'll ask you a very simple question. This Vasemis asked the question. Why doesn't it say in the Megillah, La Yehudim Haisa Torah? Why doesn't it say, like, who's my Torah? Why do I need the Gemara to translate? Oh, no. It says, the Jews had light. Light means Torah. Why didn't the Gemara just say, why didn't the Pasuk just say, like, who's my Torah? Why do you mean, like, who's my Torah? The answer is, they always had Torah, but they didn't appreciate that it was Torah. They didn't realize that Torah was the light of their life. They, they lived Torah, but they lived Torah in the dark. In other words, okay, it's my, it's my, it's my responsibility. You know, I was born into this. I didn't really sign up for this. They did it. They did it because it's what my father did, it's what my mother did, it's what my grandparents did. But they weren't feeling the, the ore of Torah. They didn't feel the, the light of Torah. They weren't connected deeply to the sweetness of Torah. And therefore, they didn't say birchas Torah. But friends, I want to just end by clarifying one final point. And that is, which area of Torah is in some ways the hardest to taste the sweetness of Torah? What? Gemara. For many people, I'm not a Gemara guy. You know. How many of us have said that? How many of us sometimes still feel that? <laughs> right? How many of us, you know, it's so detailed and it's so, it's so technical and sometimes it feels so irrelevant. Part of the celebration of the month of Adar is a celebration of specifically Torah Shabbat Al-Peh. They didn't recite Birchas Torah. When we wake up in the morning, we recite Birchas Torah, we have to pause for a moment and say, thank you Hashem for Torah. And yes, Hashem, I'm even dedicating myself 
to those moments of learning Torah that are not so fun, that are not so enjoyable. I'm going to work hard for you, Hashem, because I know there's something sweet here. It takes time to develop that. It's an acquired taste. No? It's like drinking wine. Right? A little child's not interested in wine. You could have a $500 bottle of wine and a $1.50 bottle of grape juice, and you ask a little kid, which would you prefer? The grape juice. The wine's disgusting. It's, it's t- it tastes terrible. It's an acquired taste. It's a, it takes a mature palate to appreciate a quality wine. So Torah Shabbat Al-Peh is an acquired taste. Right? But when we make the Birch Torah, we're not just saying, Va'arevna, make it sweet. We're not, we're not just saying that I should develop an appreciation that even a, a good dry wine should be sweet to me. Right? How are we saying that in our Birch Torah? Which part of the Birch Torah is also saying that? Not just the Va'arevna, make it sweet. Listen to this. The Shulchan Aruch says, Birch HaSatorah tzarech li zahir bamod. Be very careful in Birch HaSatorah. Writes the Taz, the Turei Zav, in his commentary on the Shulchan Aruch. Describing, why do we have to be so careful about Birch HaSatorah? What's so important about Birch HaSatorah? What do we say in Birch HaSatorah that is expressing our commitment to Hashem even when we're not tasting the sweetness? Friends, what's the bracha that we make? The bracha is not Lil Mod Torah. What's the bracha? to be busy with it. What is an ASIC? So, a business, right? Try starting a business. The theory of starting a business is very gishmak. The practice of starting a business is very difficult. What do I mean the theory? So you have this great idea. You came with this product. This incredible product, you know? You're ready to go on Shark Tank and sell it. It's like it's, it's, you've got this breakthrough product, this great idea, right? To, to make that a reality is very hard. Meaning the idea is really great in your head, but to actually bring it down to the world is a very difficult thing. It means getting investors. It means making, developing a prototype. It means taking a lot of risks. And you're sure, in your mind, you're so sure it's going to work. It's a great idea, but to, it's going to take blood, sweat, and tears until it becomes that best-selling product on Amazon. It's going to take a lot of work. So the same thing is true about Torah. In theory, the Jewish people at Harsinai, Nasa Nishma, we're in. We're ready to do it. All of a sudden, Hashem puts a mountain overhead and Sam says, I'm just letting you know, it's going to take a little bit of coercion. You're going to have to force yourself to do it. It's not always going to be fun. Sometimes the sugya is going to be a difficult sugya. La'asok b'divrei Torah means what? You have to be prepared to, to be busy with Torah, to work hard in Torah. It's not always going to be smooth and easy. It's not always going to be handed to you on a silver platter. Write to the Taz in Source 19. What is the Navi Yirmiya saying? says again, explaining a number of reasons why we need to be so serious about Birchas Torah, and a number of reasons why we lost the land. And if you come to the Fabrangan tonight with Rabbi I'm going to speak more about this Indian. That Torah is only acquired by a person, Chazal use a very, very intense statement, by a person who's willing to what? To literally kill himself over. Haman wanted to destroy us, and from that place of nearly being annihilated, we came to a new acceptance of Torah. Because the Taz says, a person has to make self-sacrifice to be successful in Torah. To figure it out, to, to work through the sugya. To remember, wait, who holds what? Rav Yochanan, Rish Lakesh, who holds what? Tosvos, Rashi, right? To, to think critically, to turn your brain on when it's easier to just kind of wait for someone to do it for you. Mechavrusa will figure it out and he'll explain it to me. 
but to work hard. In bechukosai teilechu, says the Torah. Shetu amelim b'Torah. That's the bracha of la'asok b'divrei Torah. And it's specifically through the hard work and the effort that we make that the sweetness of Torah emerges. So now let's go back to our Sinai one last time. What was Nasa v'nishma? When we said Nasa v'nishma, the Medrash says we were saying Nasa v'nishma about what? The Medrash says we were prepared to accept the written Torah. We were not prepared to accept the oral Torah. The written Torah is very easy to accept. How many Pesukim are there in the written Torah? 5,485. It's a small book. There's 5,845 uh, 5, Pesukim in the Chumash. A gematria for that? I'm not sure. <coughs> it's not a big book. It's not a big book. You've all, you've all read, you know, I don't know, fiction novels that are bigger than that. No? Not a big book. All of a sudden, we, show, we come to our Sinai. We're very excited to receive the Torah. Hashem, right? Everyone's ready to get their stone chumash, you know, at the mountain. Yeah? And all of a sudden, HaKadosh Baruch Hu shows up with like these huge boxes. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa what's that? Hashem says, Shas. What's Shas? 2,711 pages of incredibly dense law. I didn't sign up for that. Hashem says, yes, you did. And he picked the mountain up, held it overhead, and said, now you want it. <laughs> I'm going to drop this mountain on your head. Right? That's what the Medjur says. The Medjur says, we signed up for Torah Shebech Sav, and you know what it says in the Medjur Shan Chuma? It's in Parshas Noach. The Medjur says, we rejected Torah Shebaal Peh because, you know, Torah Shebaal Peh, the Medjur says, is kosha kemaves. It hurts like death. Gemara is hard. Gemara is hard. I don't want to learn Gemara. I want to learn Chassidus all day. I want to learn Tanakh all day. I want to learn things that are just, I don't know, they're more fun, they're easier, they're nicer. Right? To try to, yeah. even Halacha, I'll learn Halacha. Tell me the bottom line, you know? Why do I have to know all the back and forth? Who says what? Who says like this? Who says like that? Why do I need to know that? But part of the celebration of Purim is the reacceptance of Torah Shavu'al Pad. That's the part that we had initially rejected. So the Kimu Vikiblu was the reacceptance of Torah Shavu'al Pad. Says of Tzadok coin of Lublin in his writings on Purim, in the pre-Tzadok, second to last source. Lasos osam yimei mishta v'simcha. Listen to this, it's beautiful. Ha'ikar b'yamim ha'eileh ha'mishta. Purim is supposed to be a mishta, a party. What type of party? V'hu alpim ha'shekosav, like it says in the Zohar. Lechu lachmu b'lachmi. The bread of Torah refers to what? The written Torah. Ushisu, the Pasuk says, Ushisu biyein masachti, like maseches, right? Masechta, Gemara. The wine of Torah, the yena da'oraisa, is the Torah Shaval Peh. So interesting, the Yom Tov of Purim, which is the Yom Tov of wine, is really a Yom Tov, a celebration of what? Of Torah Shaval Peh, which makes a lot of sense. It's one of our two main rabbinic holidays, Chanukah and Purim, Purim and Chanukah. They're both holidays that celebrate Torah Shabbat Peh. The Iker Kitrug Haman Nisor Al Yidei Sheigia Oz Zman Ispashtus Torah Shabbat Peh. And when Haman was trying to target the Jewish people, in a certain sense, what Sadiq says, it was a time when Torah was expanding, Torah Shabbat Peh was starting to, to blossom, and Haman was trying to, to somehow shut it down. Ukemoshizachu Achar Kach Laor Torah Shabbat Peh, Laihudim Haisa the or of Torah is what? Is the Torah Shabbat Peh. What did we re-accept? 
It was the Torah Shabbal Peh that we had originally been forced into. Okay, so one final gematria just to conclude. There's a beautiful Pasuk in Yeshaya. It's a Pasuk that we should all, you know, daven over. Tzion b'mishpat tipada v'shavel b'tztaka. Tzion b'mishpat tipada, Tzion, Yerushalayim, Tzion, Eretz Yisrael. Right, we'll be redeemed b'mishpat. We just had Parshas Mishpatim. Doesn't, uh, it's not by chance. It coincides with Chodesh Adar. This is a time of Geula. It's a time where we, where we survived and v'nahapachu. We, we thrived against our most formidable enemy of all time, Haman. Yimach Shema. Tzion b'mishpatipada. There's going to be a reawakening, right? A revolution, a spiritual revolution. Tzion b'mishpatipada. Return to Zion. V'shavel b'tztaka. And those who, shavel, those who repent, those who do tshuva, b'tztaka. There was a tzaddik in Yerushalayim, Rav Yosef Chaim Zanenfeld. You've heard of him? Rav Zanenfeld. Big article biography about him. Very strong personality was one of the was one of the contemporaries of Rav Cook. Often was a Baal Machlokas with Rav Cook had a very different worldview than uh, than Rav Cook, but also had a tremendous tremendous mutual love and respect. I don't know how he figured this out. I have no idea how he figured this out. Chazal say that Geula is only going to come about in the merit of Torah Shabbat Peh B'schus Hamishnayis through the study of Torah Shabbat Peh. Right? When we work hard with Torah Shabbat Peh, when we understand that our our chelik in Torah. Right? What do we contribute to Torah? Hashem gave us the Torah Shabbat Sab. We have to contribute Torah Shabbat Peh. We have to add our own two cents. Torah Shabbat Peh means when you have your own insight in Torah, when you create new Torah, which like, like Megillah Sester, right? that's, that's called Torah Shabbat Peh in a sense. So Yosef Chaim Zanefeld said, the gematria of this Pasuk, Tzion b'mishpat hipada, is gematria Talmud Yerushalmi. Vishavel b'tztaka is exactly gematria Talmud Bavli. How he figured that out, I have no idea. That's incredible. It means that in the merit of the study of the Talmud Yushalmi, the Talmud Bavli, there's also, you see, recently, there's, you know, there's more like Talmud, I don't know, like the Dafyomi apps, now they're doing Talmud Yushalmi, like everyone's learning Yushalmi now. It's incredible. They just made a siyam on Mesechus Brachos, Talmud Yushalmi. Right? But in the merit of our dedication and our love for Torah Shavuot that even when it's hard, even when it's hard to learn, we, uh, we continue to learn, we stay thirsty like those fish of other. So in that merit, we're Zohar Tegula. Okay, so so now we know the Avoda of Adar. Mishinechmas Adar Marvim Simcha. The ultimate Simcha that a Jew has in this world is really the privilege of being able to, to learn Torah, to live Torah, to swim in Torah, to remain thirsty for Torah. And the Zerat Hashem, and the Zchus of our Vaharevnas, you know, our Lasav B'divrei Torah, will be Zohar Tegula Shlem, here b'minu, Amen. Shkoyach. I want to thank our special guests for joining us. Thank you for swimming with us today. You can stick around. We're going to do some more swimming. Okay.